Welcome to the Chick Monks Podcast, where we explore contemplative Christianity from a feminine perspective. I'm your host, Heather Lawrence. Let's get to it. Hey, Chick Monks, welcome back and happy Thanksgiving. Welcome back is really, you know, it's to you, but also I kind of am saying that to myself because I don't know if you noticed, but I took an unannounced and frankly unintended hiatus from this podcast once again. Thank you for being patient with me. Life is really demanding, yeah? And I don't know if you guys knew this, but I'm in seminary right now. So I unsurprisingly have overestimated my ability to juggle full-time school and maintain a ministry role back in San Diego that I'll be returning to going through this process of ordination uh, in the Episcopal Church, which if you haven't heard me talk about it, I would be delighted to share with you all of the rigorous details involved in the bureaucracy that is the institutionalized church. So you guys know that I think about that all the time. And more good news is that while I've been away, I've still been active in um, interviewing, but especially in preaching. And I'm excited to share what I've been working on with you, including the homily that I got to preach at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Orinda, California, where I get the pleasure of serving uh, this congregation during my time in seminary here. So this sermon is from a few weeks ago. It's on a very well-known parable, and um, honestly, it's one of my favorites that I've written so far, and I am delighted to get to share it with you. So let's take a breath together and ground ourselves in this present moment, whatever you may be doing. Take a breath in and out, and hear this reading from the Gospel of Mark. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, 
but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields and persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. My favorite line of the gospel reading today is Jesus looking at him loved him. That's how Jesus responds to this man asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus loved him by telling him to sell everything he had. To the man who has everything he wants, Jesus says, one thing you lack. What is it Jesus was offering to this young man? What does he lack? Poverty? No, I think that's a bit too simplistic. Jesus doesn't go around telling everyone they need to live in poverty. Was it generosity then? Well, maybe we're getting warmer. In San Diego, I had two roommates. One woman, Tessa, who quickly became a best friend. And one great dame named Zoe, who also became a very good friend. I don't know if you know about this, but one of the best things about being a dog in San Diego is this miraculous place called Dog Beach. It's also one of the best things about having a dog friend in San Diego. It is a beautiful scene to behold. Dozens of happy pups chasing balls and running with each other, racing along the shoreline and plunging deep into the waves. Dogs are happy. Their humans are happy. Everyone is delighted, and the pairs of human and dog each play their own game, and they reflect joy back to one another as they play their part. I went often to Dog Beach with my dog friend Zoe, who, by the way, is certainly as big as I am, and you should see the looks we get when we both climb out of my little tiny compact Prius, but I digress. Here's the thing about my girl Zoe. She loves to play with a ball. Honestly, maybe a little too much. And maybe you know a dog like this. Because what happens is that once she gets a ball, she forgets that half the fun was chasing and finding the ball. And instead, she clamps her giant jaw around a tennis ball so hard that it can only be retrieved by a great deal of wrestling with one's whole hand inside her mouth, which is Definitely hilarious, but very uncomfortable and slightly terrifying to experience. Why not just let her keep the ball, you might ask? Well, I assure you, it is not that I was that committed to playing fetch. Believe it or not, I would rather not throw a slobbery ball as far as I possibly can for an hour straight. The problem is what happens to Zoe. You see, when she has a ball in her possession, the ball actually seems to possess her. She no longer enjoys the beach. 
Normally, Zoe lives for the pets and admiration from every human that she passes. But with a ball, she nervously hides her face from every person and she snarls at every dog who dares run past her. Sometimes she settles and digs a little hole to guard her precious ball. But even then, she's unable to relent her prized possession, even to the sand. Inevitably, once the ball is wrestled from her mouth, she perks back up. Her ears are playful, released from her obsession and her fear of loss, and she runs after the ball with joy again. For a moment, she returns to the game she loves. Throw and retrieve. Throw and retrieve. For a moment, she's free. Now, every time I witness this behavior, besides rolling my eyes that we're doing it again, I remember that I'm not so different from Zoe. Friends, do we not all fall into the trap of believing that acquiring and keeping is what makes us safe, secure, in control over our own lives? The problem is that Like Zoe, our clenching grip prevents us from really enjoying the gifts of our lives. Glancing over our shoulders to protect what's ours, distancing ourselves from others just to keep it safe, all this does is stop the flow. When we're fearful and self-protective, we can neither give nor receive. Throw and retrieve, give and receive, It's a dance we do in the kingdom of God where we believe that the joy of this life is not only found in having, but in the motion of receiving and giving. If we always have, there's no dance. It's static. We're burdened by all that we must hold on to, and our grip is too tight to take the hand of our divine dance partner. But... When I open my hands, I remember the giver of all good things. When a brave hand pulls the ball out of Zoe's mouth, she's never afraid or angry. She wants to play. Immediately. Perhaps Zoe couldn't give it up herself. And neither could the wealthy young man talking to Jesus. But what about us? Do you and I have the strength to give up what needs to be surrendered in order to play? Give and receive, throw and retrieve, give and receive. Jesus loved him as he invited him into this flow of abundance. Not because there was anything wrong with the man, This isn't about correction or judgment. Remember what he asked Jesus? Remember why this started? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life isn't getting it right. This isn't about getting into heaven when you die. It's not even about changing the world. Eternal life is God's kingdom here and now and forevermore, and our choice to participate in it. 
Jesus is offering life that never ceases flowing to this man's soul. And then Jesus uses an impossible image, a camel fitting through the eye of a needle. And he stirs up shock and bafflement in his disciples. If this man who had knowledge and money and power and influence couldn't enter the kingdom of God, then who could? Who was more valuable? Who could God want more? But Jesus teaches that it is exactly those things, money and knowledge and power and influence, those things that we clamp our jaws around and we hold on tight until we lose ourselves, those are the burdens on our camel's backs that keep us from entering the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love. Jesus looked at him and loved him and put his finger right on the burden that kept him from this love. We are supposed to be shocked by the image of the camel and the eye of the needle. It's meant to remind us that there are things that feel impossible to give up. But maybe you've made it through the impossible before. Maybe you've lost something you would never have parted with in a million years if you had the choice. Maybe you know the terror of losing what you thought made your life great. Friendships, social status, money or employment. Maybe you've done the impossible and you've given up the protection around your heart by sharing your vulnerability and fear and your love with someone else. And maybe you've tasted what's on the other side. We're only ever lost in our own lives because we forget the eternal flow of abundance, where there is always enough for everyone, where more for you doesn't mean less for me, where giving up wealth or time or self-protection is an act of faith in the God who gave it to us to begin with, where we trust our source enough to know that the joy of life is in giving it away. And when we make room to receive more, we are blessed with the abundance of God's eternal life. It is a terrifying thing to make ourselves vulnerable by laying aside what we think keeps us safe. But this vulnerability is our act of faith. This is how we practice faith. This is how we grow. And as Peter reminds Jesus, who of Jesus' followers did not lay aside the security of their lives to join him? Vulnerability is our act of faith, and if we let it, it will give us eyes to see the love of God that always surrounded us. Give and receive and give and receive and give. This is the flow of eternal life. This is the kingdom of God. Amen.